Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show podcast with myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and Sam Mulliner. We have, just had, we have just had the pleasure, and I mean the pleasure, of speaking to a commentating legend, Sam, Peter Drury. What a man with, I think his, his words are just so inspiring when it comes to commentating on football matches. Peter Drury is brilliant. Like, when he signed in onto the, the video, like, yeah, we kind of like preconceptions of how people and how interviews are going to go. So I'm expecting Peter Drury to like not sound and be exactly like Peter Drury off the telly, but he is. He's like, I was expecting like a couple of notches below peak Drury, but oh, what an absolute ledge. What a hero. Uh, he's just oh this is this was such an enjoyable one to do and he was just a bundle of energy it was absolutely fantastic to speak to him for an hour yeah sounds absolutely spot on his enthusiasm yeah this hour is absolutely brilliant and there's some wonderful memories in regards to newcastle his way of commentating uh commentating on england obviously we talked about that england versus columbia match in which england won on penalties yes you heard me right, England won on penalties. If you're a fan of a certain age where that didn't happen for a very long time. Um, and how he had to keep impartial. He, he, a lot of people probably didn't want England to win that night. And, and when we, when, when were you born, Johnny? Would you have remembered England beating Spain on penalties in Euro 96? Um, as in just a two, I would have just turned two at that point. Oh, you make me sick. <sighs> Honestly. And then we went out on penalties in the next round anyway. So that's yeah, England I, for you. I don't think I, I think I've, I've had this conversation with my dad before, Sam, right? I don't think I could have coped if I was, say, like a teenage fan in 96. Newcastle lose the league after being 12 points clear in about in February. And then England lose in the semi finals to Germany in a penalty shoot. I don't think I could have coped with that. <laughs> I'd have had to lock myself in a room. <laughs> and then two years later, one of your own, David Batty missing the penalty. And, against um, Argentina in the World Cup as well, but yeah. But we'll talk about that on another podcast, I'm sure. Yeah, we digress. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it, it's a fantastic hour of talking about a lot of different things, but there's so many different plot twists, potentially, if he didn't get his break at the start and Boosie Radio Leeds and having the privileges that he did then, it, it could have been so different, Sam, but by God... What he, he says it's luck. I, I I disagree with that being luck. I think he's very very good at what he does. I don't think he even knows how good he is. Uh, no, because he's he's not on social media, so he doesn't read any of anything positive or negative. I suppose um, he's kind of in his own little bubble in a way, which sounds lovely. Um, but yeah, he's, he's he's one of the best in the business. Um, the moments he had that we discussed for for Newcastle, obviously relevant to a, to ourselves, that Champions League season into Milan, Dynamo Kiev, just commentators make moments, and that's a theme throughout this throughout this episode. But like everything, and a number of guests we've had on, it all comes down to talent and hard work. I'll just read a couple of quotes that Peter Drury said in commentary: Matty Longstaff against Manchester United, Hollywood. Gallagher, one nil to the Magpies. It's their own boy, dream debut. You look at the Manolas moment, Roma versus Barcelona. Roma have risen from their ruins. Manolas, the Greek god in Rome, the unthinkable unfolds before their eyes. There's just a couple of Peter Drury quotes in matches in the the Manolas moment. It, the story tell uh, talks about there. Is really really fascinating. I'm not going to spoil it for all our listeners, but Sam, um, a, a really really fascinating conversation about particular commentary moments as well. Yeah, um, moments are a big theme throughout this one. Um, even like like the obviously the Manolas ones like really Shakespearean and poetic, but even just simple ones that just sum up the mood and like when Shearer hit that penalty against Dynamo Kiev I just remember it like it uh, like it was yesterday it was um, Drew said it is on from behind Newcastle have hope real hope and then what happened in the next game we beat Feyenoord and progressed 
after losing our first three games in the group stage of the Champions League. So it's yeah, commentators make make moments um, live long in the memory. Just a quick thanks to our sponsor, Beer Fifty Two. Beer Fifty Two dot com is the place to get all your best beer. Uh, sounds like it's almost lost me trail of thought there. Um, yeah, just beers and stuff. Lovely yeah. stuff. If you want tasty stuff, just head on over. I think it's because I, I've done. I can't remember. I always can't remember the last time I was in a pub. <laughs> well, this is where Beer Fifty Two has really come into its own. Well, it's been it's been a year to, as we as we record. It's a year to the day since Boris Johnson announced we were going into lockdown. So it, it, it's it's very very surreal. Uh, while I was recording this, but again, a big thanks to Beer Fifty Two. And if you want any. Beer 52 product. It was beer52.com forward slash NFTV. But Sam, this is an hour with Peter Drury and the podcast, in my personal opinion, is getting better and better. Yeah. Um, shout out to you for this one because this was um, your idea. You you booked it. You did it all. So um, first time for everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in about the oh, 36 wow. episodes we've done, I've probably been sounds in about 30 getting the guests, and I think if I'm lucky, if I've got if I've got six. So, yeah, Generous. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. One one point closer. Um, but yes, this is the Greenwood Armada Show with Peter Drury. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Greenwood Armada Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today, we are joined by a man who has commentated football matches around the world, and he's commentated on the biggest games, the biggest events, the biggest competitions around the world, including, of course, the Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League, and has also had the honour of commentating on a World Cup final very, very recently. Today, we are joined by Peter Jury. Peter, welcome to the Greenwood Armada Show. Really pleased to be with you guys. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, yeah. Peter. So, Sam, when you think of Premier League football and you think of Champions League and obviously maybe me and you growing up as, a, as, as, as kids watching football, Peter's yeah. voice is synonymous with English football and Champions League football when we had a little little moment, Sam. Commentators make moments, whether whether you like it or not, Peter. I know, I, know you, I've, I read an interview you did uh, previously saying that um you know you're there to watch the football and but commentators make moments and there's so many moments that um have your voice in them um as, as johnny gave you the introduction there so many matches so many big events uh, i can't imagine crystal palace newcastle on a friday night was high up <laughs> on that list was it you won Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you won. No, do you know what? I love those games because what the reason I love it, the reason, fellas, I'm so um, enthusiastic still, is that every game, including Crystal Palace against Newcastle on a Friday night, has a narrative. Every game is a story to tell, you know, and that was a story to tell. And, you know, for, for years and years, your club, you know better than me, you know, it was hardly worth you travelling to London. You never won in London. Um, and uh, you, you won that night in London, you know. And, and let's let's face it, for better or worse, sadly at the moment, probably more worse than the, the Newcastle story uh, is a gripping one. Um, and so every little step of it is fascinating, even if, even if sometimes a bit macabre. It's just a bit. <laughs> I'm sure we'll mention that a little bit later on in this interview. But yeah, let's start right at the beginning. Um, I did a little bit of research, and you were an accountant for a little for a short spell before you actually yeah. took commentary seriously. And um, why did you not just go all straight in with commentary at the start? Why, why a little bit of something different? Well, Johnny, because it, it never occurred to me I could make a living out of it. Really, it was one of those things that was for other people. Um, I loved it. I always, obviously grew up loving football. I grew up loving words, and and I grew up being fascinated actually by the broadcast of football because I didn't have parents who took me to football. I didn't go to football till I was a you know well into my teens. Um, so I I consumed it on the radio and then increasingly the television, um, and of course, like every six to fifteen year old lad pretended to commentate from time to time but it never really occurred to me that um that it was for real um and when i graduated from university i did what other people do and i got a job with an accountancy firm and um started being a training accountant and i was hopeless um and also 
I was um, thinking, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I, 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 so I'm going to have a crack at it. And, you know, I, I like like me, I mean, it's a competitive world. I had millions of rejections and so on. And eventually I got a chance with a with a well-known sports reporting agency in London, Haters. Um, and I've had several lucky breaks since the first and original one. Who were your sort of, did you have like influences on your commentary or people that you listened to on the radio or on the TV that sort of made you want to be a commentator? Well, yeah, I mean, I, as I say, when, when, when I was that sort of age, you know, 10, 11, 12, up to late teens, there was much less football on the telly, of course. This was pre-Sky and all of that. Um, so a lot of it was the radio. And on a Saturday afternoon, you know, every game kicked off at three o'clock Saturday. And I, I genuinely locked my bedroom door and had the radio on. Um, and so my, I suppose my biggest formative influence was a guy called Peter Jones, who was on... Um, BBC Radio through those days, and and he had a fantastic grasp of the English language. He had wonderful words and had a beautiful lilting Welsh voice. And wherever he was, you know, he painted the picture, and you felt as though you were there. And funnily enough, I was asked to listen back to some of his work a, a year or two back, and I thought I, I really am reluctant to do this because I think it's going to sound dated. It's not going to be the kind of sharp, right on it. Uh, commentary that people kind of expect today. I didn't think it would be accurate. I thought it would just be beautiful. And absolutely, it wasn't dated at all. It, it was sensational broadcasting. Uh, and so one of my regrets is I never met him, actually. He, he um, you may know the story, he died commentating on the boat race, yes. believe it or not. And, and that happened in the very spring that I got my first job with the BBC, with BBC Radio um, in Leeds, BBC uh, Leeds, I got my first sort of full-time broadcast. And I went down to Broadcasting House in London as part of my kind of initiation with the BBC. And it was in the week that he had fallen ill and died. And uh, and I, I sometimes think about that sliding door because he was he was a great hero of mine. Oh, I can just imagine. It's so sad that he never actually got the chance to meet Peter. Yeah. yeah. I can just imagine the conversation between yeah. you and the past. Well, I'd have been terrified of him, actually. It would have been a one-way conversation. I'd have, I'd have just sat there open-mouthed. <laughs> um, you talk about BBC Radio Leeds, and we've had Bryn Lord, who was he worked for Sky Sports, he works for Leeds United Television right now. And he started around at the same time as you, 91, 92, and where Leeds won the, uh, the old first division, the last old first division before the Premier League uh, was born. And what did you learn? from the first couple of years at BBC Radio Leeds. Was there anything that you could just pick up on your commentary? Oh, so much. I mean, that is, that is, and I don't want to be remotely disrespectful to local radio because it's, it's so important in terms of development and so on, but it is a great place to make your mistake and, and to learn the trade. And listen, when I joined in 1990, I was the junior man. I wasn't doing that much of Leeds United, but... You know, I learned I learned my trade doing Halifax Town and Huddersfield in the third division and Bradford in the third division, and then every so often I got given a Leeds game. You know, um, uh, it, it'd be like you know on on your patch covering Gateshead, and then suddenly getting a game at St James's. You know, you, wow, this is this is my day, um, and uh, they were great times. And you learn to present, and I, you know, I'm a soft southerner, but I learned a bit about rugby league, and covering Yorkshire cricket was fantastic. Um, and uh, and of course covering Leeds United and when Leeds won the league um, I, I was there on top of Leeds Town Hall looking down off the balcony when the streets were full and the open top bus was coming round and I stood behind uh, Eric Cantona as he stood in front of the crowd saying I don't know why but I love you in that kind of sexy French voice of his <laughs> of course within three months he joined Manchester United which didn't go down quite so well um and uh, so you know those those were wonderful wonderful days and i was very lucky because leeds being champion gave you within the bbc network a profile you know every week's interview with howard wilkinson and so on made you noticed and, and it all coincided with the start of five live and so i was one of the next sort of cabs off the rank when five live was starting up and those, that was a period of great opportunity and was just another lucky break of, of sheer timing in my career. Was it always football, football, football that you were commentating on, or that was the path you wanted to go down, or were you swayed by when you learned a bit about rugby league and, and cricket and so on? 
what I never I never could have done rugby league because it just wasn't in my blood. I'm a I'm a great cricket lover and, and following Yorkshire, I absolutely loved. Uh, and and cricket is a great pastime of mine, and I still sometimes try to play it in a fairly geriatric way. But um, the, the, and and actually, some of what I miss about those early days of Five Live was the variety. You know, I commentated on a bit of golf. I did a couple of Ryder Cups. I did a few Open Golf Championships. Um, for a little while, I was BBC Radio swimming commentator. Believe it or not, <laughs> um, even on even on the telly, I've done darts and snooker. Um, which are great, great fun, you know. Um, but in the end, football is the dominant sport. And in the end, football is the game, let's face it, we all kind of love the most, don't we? Uh, you, can't, you sort of can't get away from it. And football is where there are opportunities. And, um, yeah, so, so football certainly uh, over the last 20 years, it's been all, not, not quite all, but almost all football. And I did the boat race, by the way. Oh. Did the boat race for ITV for six years. So there you are. You don't get much further from St. James's than the boat race, do you? Definitely. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Peter was looking down on you. Yeah, I hope so. And certainly I used him as a as a model. Of course. Um, you, you touched on even just about the darts. Me and Sam are huge darts fans. I've been for, for years and years. And I remember just stumbling, up, not even when doing research on yourself, Peter, but it, was, it must have been about six months ago, uh, nine months ago. And it was a game where... Steve Beaton beat Phil Taylor in the Grand Slam of Darts, and that was on YouTube. And I just, I was like, wow, I can't believe he's even commentated on the darts. Like, and it was, it was just brilliant. The way you describe the action, obviously, in the northeast, we've got Sid Waddell, or we did have Sid yeah, Waddell, God rest his soul, and he, the man, oh, the man of darts, of course. And did you do you take inspiration off other people in terms of, say, for example, a Sid Waddell spot and darts rather? different commentators with cricket, different commentators with rugby. Yeah. Do you use that to use your commentary skills in different sports? Yeah, well, I, I think it's I think it's really important to say that you should, I believe, and I say this to sort of young aspirant commentators, never pretend to be someone else. If you start mimicking someone, you're not being authentic. You'll get found out and you'll get laughed at. You get laughed at anyway, by the way. But um, <laughs> the, the, um, the thing to be is authentic, but you would be silly not to notice what's good about people. And you take Dart, Sid Waddell as an example. One of the things they tell you when you move, certainly if you move from radio into television, is that what the golden rule is, don't speak unless you can add to the picture. Now, if you follow that to its ultimate, actually you never speak. You know, if I'm on a Newcastle game, you guys don't need me to tell you who's got the ball. You know them all. You probably know them better than I know them. So why, why would I be an imposition in your living room talking about Newcastle United, a club about which you feel so much more deeply than I do. It's nonsense, really. So you've got to be careful that sort of where you draw the line. But as I say, the kind of rule of thumb is don't speak unless you can add. Now, darts, let's face it, the dart's either in or it's not in. He's hit or he's missed. There's not an awful lot to say. So, And that is where Sid Waddell was a genius, because rather than saying... You know, if, if you commentated on darts like you commentated on football, you say treble twenty, treble twenty, always straight into the one. If you did that on the television, you know what? That would just be <laughs> pointless. So all you can do is turn a phrase at the end of each three darts. Turn a phrase, um, and that's quite easy to do when it's a nine dart finish or when somebody has won the match. But turning a phrase as Sid Waddell did sensationally almost at every point at the end of every three dart he had something to say which wasn't the blindingly obvious you know and that's because he was a remarkably intelligent guy who who had all of these classical illusions and, and so on that he could you know he, he had a sort of backstory which was sensational uh, these turn of phrases that you mentioned when you're when you're commentating on there's so many iconic lines and moments um I could recite to you your commentary for the goals at, uh, for Newcastle against Inter Milan and uh, Dynamo Kiev in the Champions League, but I'm not going to. Um, don't want to embarrass myself. But do you have like lines that come to you in the night, perhaps, or are they just all off the cuff? Or do you have sort of things that come to you and think, right, I'm going to use that? Well, well, there's a mix there. What I, what I would say is, the, the again, the rule I set myself is... Everything up until kickoff, 
be absolutely prepared. You know, I, I don't hide from the fact that I've written some words down um, for the moments up to kickoff. Um, because that's going to happen. Teams are going to come out of the tunnel. They're going to line up. They're going to shake hands. There's going to be the roar. There's going to be local hero playing. All of that stuff, you're going to, you know, you know that's happening. That's a given. Um, you would be foolish to script anything for the game itself. Because even if you think that you're going to be ready for a moment, um, when the moment actually happens, it's not quite as you imagined it, you know. Um, and so you you could have a, a little something written down because Shearer scored his 900th goal. Um, and actually, when he scores his 900th goal, it, it's better than that. Or it's a scabby little near post nothing. And you sort of think, no, it doesn't quite deserve that. Or you know what I mean? So you, you have to be aware of the kind of upcoming event. But I think you have to be open-minded enough to um, develop it into the moment it actually is. The best example of that, if I may say so, would have been the Manchester City Aguero thing, where every I worked on that for the global feed that day. And every commentator that day would have had a moment ready for the final whistle going because all Man City had to do was beat QPR. That was a given. They were going to win 3-0. And and so you would have had a line written, as I did, for the final whistle saying Manchester City are champions. But, of course, if you'd used that line, actually, given what actually occurred, it would have sounded lame. And that that is a really good lesson because events never quite work out in the way you might anticipate they would when you were sat in your hotel room the night before. I was going to ask this later on, but because you brought it up, that Manchester City moment, is that the best moment that you see in a football stadium or is there has there been something else? Well, for, for, for sheer sporting drama, I think, I think it's more or less got to be. I mean, it's hard to think in the context of English football that there is, I mean, if you take out, you, you know, you'll, you'll have your own personal moments, of course, around your club. But, but if you take partisanship out of it, it's hard to believe there is one. Um, I have a lot of Watford in my family and there was a very famous Troy Deeney goal at the end of a <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, so that So there's one. But um, that, the, uh, that must be up there. It's not my favourite moment, but it's certainly the most exciting. What is your favourite moment? My favourite moment was when Shabalala scored the first goal of the 2010 World Cup for South Africa. Oh, of course, yes. Um, just because, um, you know, I always have to be careful to frame it when I'm talking about this. It's nothing to do with what I said. What nothing, I just happened to be lucky enough to be there for uh, what I thought was a really beautiful moment in sport. To walk up to that stadium for the start of an African World Cup and to see in that troubled country... Black and white people, arm in arm and smiling. Sport was doing that day what no politics can ever do. You know, if the world could bottle that mood of unity and love and happiness and vaccinate us all, what a planet we would be on. And when this boy, who was brought up underneath a corrugated iron roof in Soweto, scored a wonderful goal for the world, that to me said... You know, it, it's the only goal, really, that makes the hair go up on the back of my neck and makes me feel like welling up because it was a just a beautiful, beautiful moment for the world. There you are. Sorry, I've got all soppy, but that's how I feel. What, yeah. How does, that, how does um, commentating in that World Cup with all the Vuvuzelas, how does, that compare, <laughs> how does that compare with commentating in the Premier League now in front of 20 people oh. in the press room? Oh, well, those are the extremes, aren't they? I mean, yeah. listen, funnily enough... Being there, the Vuvuzelas never bothered me. I can understand why sat with them blaring in your lounge, probably they maybe became irritating. But to me, they were the sound of an African World Cup, actually. You know, and you wouldn't, you know, you, you don't want a kind of cleansed, sterile, they all look the same World Cup. You know, if it's going to be in Germany, it looks like it's in Germany or sounds like it's in Germany. You hope, you hope. And the trouble with European World Cups is that they probably all do sound the same. You know, if you didn't know, France is the same as Germany, is the same as England, is the same as whatever. And so it was it was brilliantly authentic in that sense. Um, but I wasn't a television viewer. So you, I understand why you might have felt differently. Um, as for now, um, it's horrible. 
you know, it's horrible. And and um, I say that from a position of knowing how incredibly privileged I am to go to the football matches that you would love to be going to. Um, and, uh, you know, it's easy to be all gushing like this, but God willing, we've learned in football, and I have to say in television, to respect supporters. We have to have learned that lesson. And I'm afraid, you know, we're... we're um, we're going to be disappointed, sadly, because it's a business and you'll be disappointed. But, you know, when whichever league either of you happens to be in, when Newcastle are away at Bournemouth on a 12.30 Saturday lunchtime, um, that's because they know that there will the pubs and clubs in Newcastle will be full and there'll be lots of viewers. But the, the, the thousand or so who'd been able to get tickets for that game cannot get there and back in the day. And... Um, it's it's to me that is it conflicts me because i don't want to be disingenuous i'm in television and i understand why you know for that game it's an absolute prime game for the stay-at-home audience where there's a big big club involved and big numbers will watch it but for the fan at the ground who we are so missing at the moment it's horrendous um and and they're there is the conflict. So um, there you are. As a commentator at the moment, you feel like a slightly second-rate soloist who's backing choir um, have sort of crept out the back. Has it kind of changed the way you commentate on goals and some and um, whatever? Because you used to be greeted with like a wall of noise behind you when yeah. a goal goes in, where you've kind of got to shout or raise your voice or whatever when you're commentating on these goals. But now, does it feel a bit silly when you have to shout yeah. when just silence? Well, a lot of us, had, a lot of us had this conversation, Sam, when it all started. Because if if you take it back as you just have, um, why does a commentator shout when the ball goes in the net? Actually, if you go right back to the roots, the commentator is shouting because there's forty thousand other folks shouting, and so that's what you've got to do: a to be heard and b to sound real. Um, so why are you shouting when nobody else is shouting? Um, it's 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 nonsense, really. It's nonsense. Um, except that I think, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, as a punter sat at home, that's sort of what you expect. And maybe you've got the maybe you choose not to, but maybe you've got the crowd noise on to make it feel like a real football match. And if it's a real football match, when your team scores, you want the commentator to sound at least relatively interested, um, you know, as opposed to just staying conversational. But yeah, you sound, you feel silly. You feel silly doing it. When you're commentating, what, what, how, how much preparation do you put into a game? I know at the minute we were just talking off air, like every single day, bar an international break, there is yeah. a game on. If it was yeah. saying back into, you know, you have a game on a Saturday, same on a game on a Tuesday, Wednesday in the Champions League, then back on a Saturday or something yeah. for the Premier League. What is your typical preparation for each game? Do you have a certain routine that you have to go through? What stats yeah. are you looking at? What, what, what's your preparation, Peter? Well, I, I always say, Johnny, that um, a match, on average, is a day's prep. So is a kind of nine to five day at the best. That's on average. Now, by this stage of a Premier League season, and, you know, I'm familiar with all of the teams and so on. And so there's there's something from last week or two weeks or three weeks ago that I can refer to and use and update. And so on that could come down to five or six hours. Um, and, and with every day being a game day at the moment, sometimes it has to because there just aren't enough hours in the day. But if um, I'm doing a Champions League game or a Europa League game, um, I've got Arsenal Slavia Prague coming up. I'm going to have to learn Slavia Prague from scratch. And so that could be a 15-hour preparation period if you do the early rounds of the FA Cup and you're doing Gainsborough Trinity or Hampton and Richmond you know that involves and there's not even material online that can involve in normal times going and watching them train one evening meeting the people shaking their hands learning which one's the postman and which one's the plumber and you know <laughs> all of that stuff and so that you're so that you're properly prepared so um in terms of, of being sat in front of a laptop and researching and writing your notes Eight hours is average, and, and it can fit by the way. I can imagine, although it takes longer to prepare for, I can imagine the early rounds of the FA Cup games are quite 
more enjoyable than, say, a typical Premier League game, yeah. Crystal Palace versus Fulham or whatever, yeah. because it's kind of football in its purest form. Or am I completely wrong? No, you're completely right. I, I love it because, as I've said to you, um, on another sort of conversational trail, um, Newcastle United, your club, there's nothing I can tell you about them. And broadly speaking, by this stage of the season, there's nothing I can tell anybody about them. They're a very high-profile club. So whoever you're playing, be it Arsenal, Manchester United or Burnley, every fan knows the Newcastle narrative. I can, I can um, articulate that narrative to, you know, in the way I do. But basically, there's no part of the story that I'm revealing to you. Whereas... Uh, I can get stuck into the early rounds of the FA Cup or an early game in the group stage of the European competitions. And I've got something I can look up and learn and turn into a project and use, you know. And, and it's really, really interesting. When you're up against it time-wise, it can be a pressure. But in, in terms of enjoying the process, it's much more fun. And I love doing those early rounds of the FA Cup because you meet real people. You know, they're not superstar footballers. These are people for whom this is their moment and they love the fact that the telly's there and and they are having a, a glorious... A couple of couple of years uh, recently, I've done the final of the FA Vars and I don't even mean the trophy, I mean the Vars. You know, yeah. we're talking village teams and meeting those people and learning what they do and, and saying to them, um, you know, saying to the manager, um, what shirt number does he wear? And, you know, oh, it depends whether he's washed it, you know, that, that <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that, those, those are, those are the great, those are the great games. I love those because you feel when you do that sort of niche game on the television, there, there's a real weight of responsibility because that is their moment. That, that is it. You know, it's like the ultimate club TV. Um, and, um, and, and I feel much more that I want to get it right for them. But in a sense, I do for you, because for you, well, you you know, you'll throw bricks at the telly if I get it wrong or I say something that irritates you. But ultimately, you'll be on next week, you know, um, and they won't. Yeah. Um, Peter, how important is the co-commentator when you're commentating? I, I in particular, you talk about your relationship with Jim Begman over the years. Um, what do you want from a co-commentator whilst you're commentating? Yeah, well... It, Really good question, Johnny. Um, I, I think, you know, when the relationship's at its best, you understand what your role is. And in my opinion, my opinion doesn't matter. I shouldn't have an opinion. Now, there, there are shades of grey there, obviously. If I say brilliant goal, in a sense, I'm expressing an opinion there that that goal is brilliant. But broadly speaking, in terms of the tactics, the, the nuance of the game and so on, it's not for me to have that opinion. And I, I personally don't like it when I hear the commentator express an opinion because his, his view is no more valid than yours or anybody else's. I haven't played the game to any great level um, or coached it or whatever. So my job is to deal with the plain facts, who, what, where. His job is to deal with how and why. And, and if you remember that, then hopefully you never cross. There's, there's always a little bit of crossover. You know, I might say, Jim, that poor, wasn't it? You know, this is disappointing. But essentially only in the sense that I'm teeing him up to express his opinion. And if, if he starts rattling out the stats, I want to give him a sharp elbow and say, oi, you're on my territory here. I've spent, <laughs> I've spent eight hours sorting this all out. Um, so, um, so I think the reason I get on with Jim, and he's certainly not alone, you know, I, there are some very good guys out there who it's a pleasure to work with. I, I think if if I remain respectful to the fact that, A, nobody else cares what I think, and I really believe that, nobody cares what I think, um, and respectful of the fact that they might care what he thinks because he won a double for Liverpool or Andy Townsend captained Ireland to a World Cup quarterfinal or whoever it happens to be. Or, you know, I, I've... I've um, did my first game for Amazon this year with uh, Alan Shearer, who is the Premier League's top goal scorer. You're not going to argue with his view, even if you're a Sunderland fan. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, can't, you can't you can't get away from the fact that this bloke did it. Um, and so, if if I started saying to him, um, you know, disagreeing with his view, you think, well, so, sorry, who am I going to believe here on the subject of goal scoring? 
this slightly sad middle-aged man or Alan Shearer who scored thousands. Um, it's it's um, it's pointless. So so there's the divide really between the two roles. Um, speaking of Alan Shearer, um, I've had the privilege to interview him before. Johnny has. <laughs> um, what was he like to deal with, to, to work alongside as a, as a co-commentator? And um, did you have any dealings with him as a player and many memories of commentating in, on him as a player? Yeah, well, first of all, as a commentator, absolutely charming. I don't mind saying, and I, you know, this sounds a bit fanish, so forgive me, but I was a bit nervous actually, because I've worked with so many, um, and Alan still feels very modern to me, and I feel very old to me. Actually, there's not much difference between our ages, but there you are. Um, but he's such an iconic player. Um, I thought he might think, who's this bloke I'm working with? And and shall I tell you what I liked about Alan Shearer the first time I met him yes. in, in a professional context, was that I walked up to him to shake his hand and said, hi, I'm Peter. And he said, hi, I'm Alan. And I thought, I know who you are, Alan. You don't need to have said that. But he had the humility to do that. And I really, really appreciated that. Um, and he was humble and interested and interesting. And I, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed being in his company. And I have to say also, he's very, very good at the job. Um, I, I think he's a really good co-commentator. And so, obviously, so very credible. Um, a real pleasure to work with and I can't wait for the next time actually. Um, as a player I for five live commentated on his first goal at St James's against Wimbledon Brilliant. and uh, I always I always remember that it was against, uh, as I say against Wimbledon, it was a free kick obviously and um, I, I it's the height of arrogance to um, to quote yourself back, but I do always remember that because I was still quite young, and it was a great thrill. It was a big sort of moment for me, and he smashed his free kick into the, the um, top corner, and I just went, Shearer, he's got his goal, he's got his goal, and and so there we are. And um, afterwards, I had to go and do the interviews, and I remember the first person to appear was the Wimbledon manager, Joe Kinnear who was furious because he didn't think it was a free kick. Um, so he was quite grumpy. And uh, then Alan Shearer came out to be interviewed. And I remember thinking what a... Funnily enough, it's very, I had interviewed him before. I remember interviewing him. He, he got a, a hatchet for Blackburn once and I was there. But I, I um, he, he came out and I asked him, you know, Alan must feel great. And he did this sort of stock answer. And I, I, I still regret to the day my follow-up question when I said, pity it wasn't at the Gallagher's end. And uh, he looked at me as if to say, what? 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 <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just such a stupid thing to say. He just he just hit a 25-yard screamer into the top corner to score the goal of his dreams for the, you know, the club of his boyhood dreams. And I said, pity it wasn't at the Gallagher end. So we moved on quickly from that question and, uh, <laughs> and it was fine after that. Well, that was David Batty's goal in the first half that was uh, at the Gallagher. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. I've, to be honest, I'd forgotten that one. But there you are. <laughs> Sorry, I David. Gonna, I was going to say, because there must be, obviously, thousands and thousands of goals you must have commented on. So it's, it's obviously understandable if you get a few. But what are your memories of commentating on Newcastle United here? Because there is so many, so many games you've commentated on over the years. Like I, I'm, I've got a few notes here. Me and Sam were just talking about this the other day, just, just going through a couple of them. And like, obviously, if you're thinking more recent time, like of the Matty Longstaff goal against Manchester United, yeah. Yeah. You've got John Joe Shelby equaliser against Manchester City, uh, yeah. the five-one over Sunderland. They're just the recent ones. I could go even further back. But what, what are your memories when you uh, think yeah. about commentating at Newcastle? But the, the trouble is, it's hard to answer you guys without sounding sycophantic, you know, and I, I, I really don't want to do that. Um, but it is inescapable that yours is a very singular club, you know, and, um, and, and yours is probably the great one club city in the land. You know, there are other great one club towns and cities. There's Portsmouth, there's Ipswich, there's Norwich, you know, and others. But yours is the great one club city in the land. So a trip to St. James's, and I know it's the ultimate cliche, is like kind of going to worship. There it is, this cathedral on top of the hill. 
and it is the centre point of your city, and it is the talking point of your city, and so every game is an event, and your place when it's when it's happening is like no other. It, it is like no other, and um, so when you're caught up in that, when it is going well, it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, I, I you know I remember in those three years when ITV had the Premiership and I was there and that volley against Aston Villa. And the great thing about Shearer was, it's such a great name, Shout. Um, but, you know, um, and and those Champions League nights, you know, um, one, one of my great regrets is um, that I, I uh, my, my very good friend and colleague, John Champion, got that Bellamy equaliser in Poland, you know, when you... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to have done that. But... Uh, but no, those those trips into Europe, doing uh, doing doing um, your lot in the San Siro. Oh, there it is, there your lot in the San Siro, incredible. And Sir Bobby, you know, Sir Bobby was just absolutely brilliant. He he um, treated us so well, uh, and treated me so well. You know, on match day, on the the day of that game, um, I had arranged. Bobby had kindly said that he would meet me for a couple of minutes at lunchtime and tell me the team in advance so I could do my homework and be ready. Which which was, I wouldn't say standard practice, but if you had the trust of the odd manager, they would be kind enough to help you out in that regard. If you let them down, if you let the cat out of the bag, you'd never be trusted again. So Bobby said, meet me outside the, the uh, restaurant where the team were going to eat beforehand uh, for five minutes and I'll tell you the team. Thank you, Bobby. So there you go. Half past one or whatever it was on match day. Go and stand outside the restaurant. There he is. Hello, Peter. How are you doing? Come on in. Come on in. And okay. And then he just engaged in conversation. And an hour and a half later, you're thinking, Bobby, I've actually got the reason I wanted to meet you was so I get the team. I go up the room and get the work done. And and but but he just liked to talk to anyone about football. And he, you know, he had his staff around him and. But he, he was interested in anyone's opinion and it didn't matter. And, and, you know, when he asked me about a player, uh, all I could say, you know, you've been the manager of England and Barcelona and Newcastle and PSV and, you know, all of the, why are you asking me? And the reason was genuinely because he was interested. And eventually after sort of an hour and three quarters, you had to say, Bobby, I'm really sorry, I've got to go now. Um, and it was, you know, those, those are the great and happy memories of, of that time. And, you know, that home game against Kiev and, and as I say, the, the San Siro. And even the, the UEFA Cup runs after that, the, you know, with Alan Pardew and so on, they were, they, you knew, that, the, the thing is, and again, this, this goes back to supporters, you know, if you're doing a Newcastle game, that you've got a backdrop. You've, you've got, a, you know, even if you're in the back of beyond, somewhere in Eastern Europe, somehow a few thousand of your mob are going to have found a way of getting there. And um, it's it's it just creates a narrative, and it, it it makes it a relatively easy job to do. Can I can I ask you a question, uh, which plays into this, and and that is this: I am a soft southerner. I'm not you know, ashamed of that. I I am where I'm at, you know from, and so on. But of all the clubs that I sometimes feel difficult articulating, yours is difficult because I say Newcastle. <laughs> and I know that you say Newcastle. Now, yeah. if I said Newcastle, that would sound pretentious and inauthentic. <laughs> but it would also be speaking your language. Would you rather that I was just me, and I ask this on behalf of other commentators as well, or would you rather, in a slightly plastic way, I try to speak your language? It's a difficult one, isn't it, Sam? And I, I'm not, I'm not well, just don't ask me. I'm, yeah. I'm in <laughs> This is all on you, Mr. Greenwood. <laughs> Um, it, do, I haven't really thought about it to be honest. I, I can I, I, sometimes when you hear southern people say Newcastle, it's the it's yeah. the W and the C. Yeah, it's, it's very it's very uh, different. I'll be I'll be honest with you. I think if you were the first to change it here and yeah. say it as a, a, a how Newcastle people say it, New, like Newcastle, then I yeah. think that people I think would appreciate that because you kind of you've done your research, you know what people. Or Newcastle fans don't like, and what Newcastle fans don't like. So yeah. I, I, I would probably say go with Newcastle rather than Newcastle. But again, I don't. I, I again, think I'm saying from, from I, 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 
Yeah. I'd, I'd be embarrassed because I, I hear guys like, for instance, Guy Mowbray, who's from York, nearer your part of the world. He's a proper Yorkshire guy and he knows that part of the world. He instinctively, because that's how he speaks, says Newcastle. Uh, and I think, to be honest, I'm sorry if I'm going to disappoint you, but this deep into my life, I think it's too late to change. <laughs> you heard me say Newcastle now. You'd just laugh, wouldn't you? Oh, well, I, think, I, I, think, I think the next time you commentate on us for, for Amazon, or I think you should just chuck in a Newcastle just for the people watching this. So that's, <laughs> yeah. just, like, that's just like a nod for the people watching and listening to this yeah. podcast. Okay, okay. But if if I see if I keep saying Newcastle, all I'm saying to all of you who watch this podcast is, please know I do understand, and I know that to you I probably sound uh, ridiculous. <laughs> um, we'll talk we'll talk about a couple of moments, but the Matty Long stuff on it because it's more closer than more people can remember. Yeah. Um, it's not just a commentator's dream when a local lad making yeah. his Premier League debut smashes one in the Gallagher. Not yeah. a good thing it wasn't in the Leasers. Um, <laughs> and you've got that line. You, you know that line. Wow. It's there already in the, uh, in the notes. Yeah. Like, no, the, the, the line is certainly not already there in the notes. <laughs> it's, it's really not. It's, um, but it's, it's a kind of beautifully obvious line. Do you know what I mean? It's it's and and one of the reasons I love uh, the game and the job and one of the reasons I love those early rounds of the FA Cup actually we talked about earlier is because of the humanity of it, you know and I, I love the what it will have meant to the person in the moment and there's a lot of scrutiny on top level professional football of course there is but I'm always at pains to think and to say that however much these guys have paid and however useless or brilliant you think they are in any given moment they are when all said and done, human beings. And actually, again, however useless or brilliant you think they are, they probably want to do well. You know, their intention is to do well. And when a guy grew up supporting his club, and it was a big club, and he got A, to play in the team, which in itself is dream fulfilment, and then got to score, and got to score against Manchester United in his very first game. Think what that is as a human moment. Think what it must have been like to be his mum. Um, think, you know, think about it. He's just a boy. He's just a boy um, whose planets have aligned in an incredible moment. Um, and so if you can't express that, um, you know, you're missing something. That, that, those, that, that's magic, isn't it? That is magic. And what a privileged moment in his life. And if he never kicked another ball, for for Newcastle again, that that is framed and forever. Yeah, that was uh, it was an absolutely magical moment, and like even the interview that both the Longstaffs did afterwards with Sky is just it just put an, a, a cap on the on what was a fantastic day. Um, if I could just backtrack slightly because I want to pick up on something you said, Peter, um, about uh, John Champion getting the game in Feyenoord. Yeah. Do you have um, kind of games that you like watch the highlights of, or and these massive moments occur, and you think, "Bloody hell, I wish I had that," and not Tilsley, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. No, I mean, listen, of course, I, you know, um, and that, that's that's not to the detriment of your friends or colleagues in the industry, but yeah, I mean, the, the thing about having a big moment is you're only glad you've got it if you manage to get it right. Um, you know, and, and and there are just as many times when you sit in the car park and you think, well, that was all right, but you know what? That was a special moment and I didn't quite nail it. And that doesn't mean the moment didn't happen. It, it, it still happened. It's nothing to do with the commentator. Uh, the moment happened, but you can you can regret having a good moment if, if, you, if you leave the game and think, oh, you know, that got away from me. Uh, as it happened, John did that Bellamy goal brilliantly. Um, and damn him for it, because I might have done it brilliantly. <laughs> but uh, you know, and and that was um, that was a you know that was a fantastic moment. And yet, I I make no secret of the fact that I did watch that and think, oh, I, I wish I could have been there for that one. Yeah. <laughs> before before I move on about England and commentating on World Cups, Peter, I have to ask about Manolas in Rome oh, yeah. against yeah. Barcelona. Just yeah. an unbelievable game, an unbelievable 
piece of commentary. I think everybody, but the thing was, it was quite funny because BT obviously made Liverpool Manchester City, it was the second leg at the Etihad, mm. and that game was over. Pretty yeah, much well, an hour, 70 minutes, and all the eyes, because there's a kind of story coming to, to Rome, it, it, oh, it must be brilliant. Well, Johnny, it was it was a night when, um, to be honest, my my planets aligned in a kind of freakish way, because as you rightly say, everybody was watching Liverpool Manchester City. I was going to a game that was dead. Barcelona don't give up. Well, they might do now, but then they weren't <laughs> in the habit of giving up three goal leads. Um, and what it was a pleasant spring night in Rome. I was in the Olympic Stadium, about to watch Messi. You know, there wasn't a lot to complain about. And I was uh, extremely relaxed, actually. I prepared for the game, but my audience at best was going to be niche. Um, and so uh, probably in that sense, I was in my most, my best mindset. You know, I wasn't feeling particularly tense. Um, I certainly wasn't prepared for that moment. Uh, and as you rightly say, the Liverpool Manchester City game went dead just as Roma Barcelona was coming alive. And when Roma got to within one goal, my mindset did crank up a gear. I thought, shucks, if they score again, this is something. Um, and uh, sure enough, he did, God bless him. Um, and um, what followed really, I think could only have followed if I was as relaxed as I was, broadly speaking, over the course of that evening, because I just kind of, you know, that that verbal diarrhea kicked in, and um, the the um, because it was such an unexpected scorer, he got, you know this was just a, a big old centre half getting a flick at the near post. I didn't know who'd scored. That was the first thing. So the the line that people sort of quote back at me, Roma have risen from their ruins. That was to buy me three or four seconds until I got a close-up of the scorer from the director. Um, and then uh, he was Greek. That's kind of all I knew about him. And he was a Greek in Rome, and off I went, really. Um, and, and, and it, you know, I, I can't sort of explain it. Um, I, I can honestly say, because I'm not on social media or anything, I don't do that stuff. As I left the ground that night, I was not thinking anything of it, except that, wow, I'd been really lucky to be at this great game. It didn't occur to me people were watching because I sort of still assumed they were watching Liverpool. And um, it didn't, I, I can honestly say this is not false modesty or anything. It didn't occur to me that anybody would ever mention that game again. You know, it just sort of been and gone. And on we go. Let's go and have a beer. Um, and it's turned out to be one of those nights that, has been really good to me in in hindsight you know and it was a complete freak it was a freak yeah. so i'm i'm happy to bank it as a freak um but but you know i don't claim any i don't claim any plaudits for it it just it just happened in you know as they say if you put you know give a, a typewriter to a monkey eventually he'll he'll create the complete works of shakespeare um and and that's 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 kind of what happened. <laughs> that's a bit harsh on yourself, but thankfully, like, because um, I am on social media, that's how I I saw it. Because with Champions League, I don't watch it as religiously as I once did. I still long for Tuesday nights on ITV too. But now that <laughs> um, social media, these these moments can instantly just live on and on and on and on and on, whether whether you want them to or not. Sometimes, but um, yeah, it was just another one of those magical magical moments yeah well i i, I can only say i th there's not much more i can say sab except that i feel very lucky because it was almost an outer body experience yeah i didn't make it happen but it sort of happened to me uh, and and um i i uh, I, I have no explanation for it really um <laughs> it just it just was one of those things and and um you know, I'm a I'm a lucky guy, and I, I always say um, to people who like to talk about this, and I'm delighted they do. But uh, I didn't score the goal; he did. You know, and, and um, to sort of attribute that moment to me is to misplace it. Nobody turns on for the commentator; they turn on for the match. Um, and and if the commentator happens to to get a moment, well, lovely. But 
he scored that goal and Roma turned that tie round. And, and I was just a lucky bloke sat at the back of the stand. So, um, happy days. Last couple of questions, Peter. The Eng England, it must be the proudest moment when you get to commentate on England. But when you're commentating, especially in 2018, when you have the pleasure of it, uh, seeing how England are getting on, when the Columbia game is one game, I think every England fan remembers that game. How unbelievably difficult is it to remain impartial when it's England versus Colombia? Colombia have just scored in the 92nd minute and then the penalty shootout comes about. Yeah. How do you remain impartial? Well, it's full enough in my role, uh, it's more of an obligation because I'm doing it again for a world feed. Uh, I, think, I think if you're on the BBC or ITV, there's probably an acceptance that you're going to lean one way and that's kind of how it should be. Funnily enough, when I was brought up at the BBC years ago, the, the rule, the golden rule was never use the word we or us. It's always England, you know. But I think through the years that has dissipated a bit. And I get that. I mean, that's the reality of where we're at. Equally, when you're doing it for a global audience, I, I think even the global audience understands that um, you're an Englishman doing it. Um, and let's face it, that night there wouldn't have been many Colombians watching my version because they don't speak <laughs> my language. So I could probably get away with it to some extent. But even through all of that, it was my job to offer a, a, a neutral commentary. And um, I, I always say this, commentating on club football or international football, there are there are you support with your heart and you commentate with your head. And you really can compartmentalise and you've got to compartmentalise. Um, I, I have to admit that when um, Kieran Trippier scored the goal in the semi-final to put us 1-0 up, I was thinking, wow, you know, in about an hour's time, I could be saying in, in the World Cup final. And, um, you know, I, I was honestly thinking, what if I start blubbing? You know, because uh, <laughs> we're, we're all fans. And that... And, and actually, before that semi-final, I spoke to one of my lads, one of my sons at home, who's a sort of sensitive boy, and he knows what I'm like, because I am a blubber. It didn't take me much to burst into tears. And he said, Dad, are you going to be okay? If they... <laughs> and, and, and at that stage, I'd reached the stage where um, I was starting, just in the back of my head, to think about words for lifting the World Cup. You know, what, what, what are you going to say? if they are lifting the World Cup here. And uh, whenever I did it, whenever, I mean, I never got as far as writing it down on a piece of paper, but I felt I felt myself welling up. I think, oh, my, you know, there was part of me that thinks maybe it's better if they lose because um, <laughs> I didn't mean that, by the way. <laughs> but, um, yeah, England is a very, very special thing um, because, you, you know, you can't help being English. And... Um, I suppose you guys might say you can't help being Geordie. So, so maybe it's, you know, for your class, it's very similar. But, you can, you, you know, you, you really um, know that if England won one of these things, it would be beyond special. Uh, and, yeah. And, and so, so to answer your question, sorry, because I've skirted around it. To answer your question, you, you just have to keep kicking yourself and reminding yourself that not everybody wants England to win this game. There are people out there who want the other lot to win. Uh, and, and so you've got to make sure you reflect that. And if, by the way, if Colombia had scored the winning penalty, uh, I would have had to react in precisely the same way of joy for Colombia. So um, that would have been an interesting acting exercise. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. I mean, it must be quite nice, though, nowadays that England are having some kind of, I suppose, unexpected success as opposed to crushing disappointment that we've had over the past 20 years or so previous Euro 96 and that stuff aside but people are starting to become a bit more enthusiastic about international football again which has gone missing for years now I agree uh, and, and I must say uh, again you know you guys can disagree I must say I attribute a lot of that to Gareth Southgate who who I think really has somehow managed to engage with if you like the generation behind him and that in terms of support and players. We've got an England coach who somehow tapped into this young, rich generation of multi-zillionaire Premier League footballers and made them understand their responsibility. 
and who understood better than anyone else because of what he'd been through, what the weight of the England shirt felt like, who understood what it felt like to put on boots and play for England and feel as though you're running through mud, as if nobody really loves you. And the whole thing is a bit of a chore. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not talking for Gareth. I know he was very, very proud to play for England. I'm not in any sense um, casting aspersions on him, quite the opposite. I think he's a really admirable human being. And listen, there'll be times this time when we're screaming, Southgate, what the hell are you doing? You know, why have you brought him on? Why have you taken him on? Of course, that happens within a football match. Of course it does. But broadly speaking, I think he is such uh, an exceptionally sensible, sensitive, intelligent human being that he's been made able to set free the players, or at least he did in the last World Cup. Um, and he has been able to somehow infuse the nation with a kind of a new enthusiasm and an understanding of what the players are going through. So we don't have to be on their back. The ones he picks, we now trust to be ones who are motivated to do what we would like them to do. Essentially, if he puts 11 players on the pitch for England, I think we believe, even if we'd have selected someone else, that Gareth Southgate is doing it for the right reasons and because he knows the mindset of the respective players and they they feel free to play. And, and I think even if we crash and burn this summer, and I sincerely hope we don't, but I, I think he has been terrific. Yeah, I think he's definitely... Uh, he, do you know the thing is as well, Peter? He enjoys being the manager. He enjoys yeah. being the manager. And that, I think that yeah. comes across really well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think he's really proud. He said, let me say, if you met him, if you had him on here, whatever, you would really like him. He's just a bloke, you know? He's just a bloke who knows how lucky he's been, um, who has a family and loves his wife and his kids and, and goes to work and he's got an unbelievable job. And I, I only wish him well. I always cast my mind back, though, to like 2009, uh, 2009, 2010, when Newcastle and Middlesbrough both got relegated and we beat Middlesbrough 3-1 that night. Alan Shearer is our manager. Gareth Southgate is theirs. If you'd have said to me one of these lads would have been would go on to be England manager, it wouldn't have been Southgate that I would have guessed. No, I, I get that. And, and do you know what the lovely thing about him is? I think that's a fair comment, Sam. The lovely thing about him is he would agree with you. He would agree with you um, because he's a very humble guy. And I remember when he became the under-21 manager, um, so I hope he wouldn't mind me saying I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this because it, it does, it, it reflects well on him. Um, that I remember saying, you know, you could be the England manager one day. And he said, no. He said, I can't see it. And, and, and I said, why not? Why not? You know, they're trying to have this progression. He said, because the public sees me as the, as the manager who was relegated with Middlesbrough. And you see, because that really scarred him. Of course it did. Of course it did. And um, in a sense, those experiences are the ones that make him such a good England manager and missing his infamous penalty. You know, he, he knows what it is to be rock bottom. You know, and he was sacked by Middlesbrough, by the way, when they were fifth in the championship and in a good position to come back up again. And and we all know, you know, that if you if you sit around those bottom seven or eight positions year after year, eventually your name's on one and down you go. And that and that happened to Middlesbrough. And um, it, it's um, anyway, we're talking about Gareth, not Middlesbrough. But he, he um, I, I think those things have all made him stronger. And the best guys bounce back when it goes wrong. And um he has. He's, he's the top guy. Finally, Pierre, what is the best commentary moment of all time? You can say one of your bits of commentary, or if you want to talk about somebody else, it's entirely up to you. But what is your favourite bit of football commentary that you've seen? Oh, football. football um, is a top. My favourite current one, or up to date one, is cricket. All, all time. All time. Well, well, cricket. My favourite cricket one was the. I thought recently brilliant when we won the World Cup. Ian Smith. Yeah. New Zealand, New Zealand. I mean that England have won it by the barest of margins. Fantastic, because talking about partisanship and what it must be like to commentate on England, his country had just lost that by the most ridiculously small of margins, and he was sensational. He articulated it with all the excitement that we as English folk would want, and he was a New is a New Zealander. His choice of words was fantastic. 
in no sense did he bottle the moment because that might or might not have been run out. You know, it was a marginal call and he just went for it. He'd have looked a right mug. Um, and uh, he, he absolutely nailed it. And that, that, that was a superb, superb piece of commentary. Um, as for football, goodness me, it's hard to identify one. I think I'll go for Bellamy at Feyenoord. Really? Very good choice. Well, only because you forced it to mind. And I, and I do remember thinking I was jealous not to be there that day. And I did think John absolutely nailed that too, because it, you know, that is a that's an exceptional moment, and and it'll get lost in the midst of time, unfortunately, because it it becomes just another group stage and just another Champions League and just another. But in the in the context of where it was then, that was uh, that was a crazy moment. Well, I think we there. Uh, unfortunately, no. not. I was only about. I was sat at home watching it on ITV2 and yeah. um, I got a clip around the ear when I shouted the house down off, off my mother. <laughs> I woke the neighbours up. Um, yeah. But uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was yeah. Fantastic. That whole run as well. And, and as we mentioned before, that wouldn't have happened unless we'd have got that win that you were commentating on against um, Kiev when Gary Speed and uh, scored and yeah. Shearer got the penalty as well. What yes. a season. Yeah, great fun. God willing, I'd call. Wouldn't it be fun to do Champions League at St James's again? That would be lovely. No, no, you can't say that because we get uh, accused in the media of wanting Champions League football and <laughs> and everything. When actually, all we 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 take seventeenth right about now. If you offered it, up. <laughs> you've got it. You've got it. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think we can agree, Sam. The two commentary moments that Peter's mentioned, the cricket one as well, big cricket fans myself oh, yeah. and Sam as well. I think we can both agree the World Cup win and Bellamy scoring the final is probably a good answer anyway. But Absolutely. Peter, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you about commentary, a, a hero of mine growing up. So it has been an absolute honour to talk to you today. Guys, it's been a real pleasure for me too. Thank you. Thank you. And listen, keep smiling. Good luck. This podcast will be available on all good podcast stores, including Podomatic, Spotify, and iTunes. You can leave us a rating and review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We'll try and better ourselves next time around. Uh, Sam, wow, what, a, what an hour we've had. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely superb. Always nice to reminisce about the good old days of uh, Champions League football <laughs> as well, isn't it? Of course. So for myself, Sam, and of course, Peter Jury, we'll see you all very, very soon.